0: You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romamu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I want to plan my Jewish funeral. He says, I've never believed in God, or he said actually when I was 13 I stopped believing in God and all of the religious language, I was done with that. And essentially, for the last 80 years, I want nothing to do with religion. I didn't bring up my children religiously whatsoever, and I'm, I want to have my funeral without any religious language, but I want it to have Jewish ambiance. I'll never forget that term, Jewish (laughs) ambiance. It was great. And then after he had left, someone came into my office who was 23, and we wanted to talk about planning her future. And these two polls, someone in the December years and someone in the March-April years, we do that dance, ritually, every single year after Purim, after the holiday of Purim. When Purim is, is over, the very next Shabbat every year is called Shabbat Para. Shabbat Para is a very special Shabbat, one of the four special Shabbatot that exists before and then after Purim, before Pesach. Essentially, it's called the Shabbat of the cow. Of course, referring here to the red heifer. The para'aduma, the ancient rite that was the rite for purifying anyone who had come into contact with death. If you had come into contact with death in ancient Israel, the cult demanded that you be sprinkled with a mixture of the ashes of a perfect red heifer and then mixed together with living water. You were purified. And the very next week, next week we're going to read what's called Shabbat HaChodesh, which is called the Shabbat of the Month. We're going to read a special reading about maybe the first mitzvah in the Torah to proclaim a new month. Essentially, spring is here. Spring and death. Death and rebirth. We do this dance every single year. It's the, some degree, the Jewish version of, of the laws of impermanence. I've taught before that for me, the significance of the ritual of the Paraduma of this red heifer was that the Torah repeatedly says that the heifer has to be perfect, unblemished. Over and over again, that word repeats. Tamim Tamimtiya tamim mumbo, tamim let it be perfect, perfect, perfect. And then you take this perfect animal, and what do you do with it? You kill it, you shecht it, and then you burn it. And the ashes of the perfection are what are sprinkled on to the one who's come into contact with death. The ashes of that thing that was wholly perfect, that you could imagine perfection being eternity. The thing that has no blemishes, no cracks in it. We have the law of impermanence in the para'adumah, and the law of rebirth. Regeneration in next week's reading about the new moon. It reminded me of a line in a book by D.T. Suzuki. When When he speaks about Buddhism and impermanence, he writes that impermanence, this law of impermanence, has a bit of a paradox in it. Because the only thing that is permanent, is impermanence. It says, one way we Buddhists think of impermanence is this way. Where we are experiencing the fleeting world, we are simultaneously experiencing one moment, one and infinite. That is to say, we are able to be conscious of a world of changes because those changes are the very thing that never suffers change. We are able to experience those changes because those changes are the very thing that never suffers change. For this reason, our consciousness of change and impermanence is deeply interfused with an unconscious consciousness of eternity, of timelessness. For those of you who didn't catch what he said, it's Sanskrit to me, right? There is a law of impermanence. There's a law that night becomes day and day becomes night. What is here today is done tomorrow. But lest you think that impermanence means there isn't anything permanent, Suzuki says that we are able to know yesh, to know, I'm sorry, in nothingness, or impermanence, or the fleeting nature of time, because beneath it there is a sense of timelessness against which it is available to us. We can rest in impermanence because we can trust impermanence. How's that for a paradox? How's that for a Mobius strip in the mind? The world is impermanent. Trust me and rely on that, says Buddhism. And so says our tradition as well. In this morning, I'm sorry, in tomorrow morning, this weekend's Torah portion, Parshat Shemini, we come to the end of an installation ceremony that lasted seven days. Moses was installing the tabernacle, the miniature world, the mini cosmos, the microcosm. And after seven days, we arrive at the eighth day. And it was on the eighth day of this installation ceremony. Moshe, Moses calls out to Aaron and his sons. Aaron's sons of the Yisrael, And says the Midrash, "Vayhi Yom Ashmini was on the eighth day. The eighth day of this Miluim, of this installation of the tabernacle, that day was so special that it was as special to God, it was as joyous to God, says the Midrash, as Yom Sheniv Rabo Aretz. It was as if heaven and earth were created on this day. It's a new world, a new world order on the eighth day on the first day after the seven days of installation the eighth day and yet the midrash perceptively feels a slight moment of pain here's the pain wherever the torah says the word vayehi and it was says the midrash it's lashon saar. it's a language of pain a language of constriction so the midrash asks what could possibly have been the constriction on this day, this day in which heaven and earth are created, this day when the tabernacle is finally installed, this day when Aaron will go in, there are ten crowns, the Midrash says, ten crowns that this day took for itself, the first day of sacrifices, the first day of Aaron and his children. It's an amazing day. It's a big celebration. It's big. It's a new world. Vayehi. Ouch. And it was. Ouch. It was. It says in Midrash, because in the middle of the parsha, Aaron will lose his two children, Adav and Avihu. In the middle of this moment of deep aliveness, in this moment of, of heaven and earth, of ten crowns, of the beauty of the world recreated, there's a moment of deep pain. A moment of death, a moment of suffering. And so in essence, it's just like that day in my office, you know? It's just like that day in my office in that someone preparing to die and someone preparing to live that we can't have one without the other, they come together like a wink and a smile, that heaven and earth, if there's any law that you need to have in order to build heaven and earth, if there's something that you need to take with you, it's an experience and an acceptance of, a willingness to live inside of, of, of life's impermanence, of that ability to hold the hope in spite of everything being taken away. The ability to hope in our capacity to, to, to be present. With all of the conversations in the Jewish world about Jewish continuity, I almost always wanna say Judaism is gonna die. So stop trying to make it come to life. Maybe. There are things that are within our tradition that are part of this heaven and earth, part of this mishkan, that will die, whether we try to keep them alive or not. As long as it is part of form, form will die and fall away. That's true of our personalities, of our relationships, of our families. It's true of almost every imaginable attachment that you and I have will shift, will change, will die in one form and be reborn in another. And the only thing that we increase when we resist that is suffering. The only thing that we increase in our lives when we resist what is inevitable is suffering. I said last week that suffering is optional. Some suffering is optional. I think that the lesson of para aduma, of the red heifer, and Parshat Chodesh, which will take place next week, and the very lesson of tomorrow morning's reading is that whenever we create a world, there is a Vayahi in the middle of it. Heaven and earth, evening and morning, all of it shifts and changes. And what we have to hold on to is the reality that it will do so. When we take refuge in that, in that ever-changing kaleidoscope of God's faces moment-to-moment, moment, then we are really Mikache Shame. We are those who sanctify God's name, the name that is constantly in flux, the name of I will be what I will be, not I am what I was, not I will stay as I am, but God's very name of becoming, is the name that we sanctify when we come to grips, come to terms, with the December project that is a part of each and every one of our days and lives. So I told my friend who came into my office about Jewish ambiance. I said to him, my dear friend, first of all, the God that you don't believe in, me too. We're on the same place, man. And I said to him, I want to commend you for coming to grips, coming to terms with the inevitability of your end. A lot of us don't do the December work until it's too late. A lot of us wait until until we can't. And he said to me, he said, Rabbi, he said, promise me one thing. He said, promise me that when I have the funeral, Promise me that you'll tell both sides of every story, that it won't only be light, it won't only be dark. Promise me that you'll give the full picture. And promise me, and I promised him, that I wouldn't wait either. That I'd begin to talk about how impermanence is important. How important it is for us to come to terms with what passes. So may this weekend's reading, which in many places is considered a big mitzvah to go to synagogue and hear para, the reading of the Torah portion of para duma, may in some way, if anyone who is here or anyone you know is working with, with issues related to impermanence, of releasing, of softening, of letting go, of accepting the inevitability that building a mishkan means also a little bit of pain, may God bless each and every one of you and me with the capacity to hear that truth, to know it deep in our bones. Amen.